current talk is about the book, The Rivers of Rigveda. So I, what I plan is to go through certain like uh, important highlights in the book and help the, any reader to get an understanding of uh, the book and uh, decide uh, whether it is for them uh, like that. This is a brief introduction slide. Uh, I think uh, uh, this uh, image was taken some few weeks back. So slightly uh, like uh, my mustache is not there. So yeah, and here, uh, this is the slide where I'm talking about uh, the book. It's a cover page of the book. And uh, as you can see, uh, the book is endorsed by the research community like uh, Dr. Elst and Dr. David Trolley, Vishal Agarwal and Dr. Raj Vedam uh, and uh, Ajay Chaturvedi and Manoshi Sinha who have been writing a lot of books in Dharmic space. And uh, uh, the primarily the book is uh, about the geography, but it also uh, like uh, touches with uh, the chronological aspects of Rigveda because uh, geography is uh, inseparable from chronology. Uh, so this is just a slide uh, which shows how the, the presence of the book in uh, Amazon and other like uh, sites where it has appeared as uh, bestsellers in the category of Indian history and hot new releases, etc. And uh, these are the kind of uh, outlets where you can buy the book, like uh, Amazon, all the outlets across the uh, international, like uh, in the UK, all the different uh, Amazon outlets in various countries, UK, US, every, Australia, everywhere, Europe as well. Flipkart uh, delivering in India. In the Notion Press, uh, the publisher have a location where it is available, both in print and as well as uh, in uh, like uh, digital copy, Amazon Kindle, Bobo, iBooks, Google Play, everything. Uh, and uh, I have also uh, provided two additional resources for the anybody who is buying the book. One is uh, the platform called Therma Digital, uh, which has been spoken some time back, uh, where I tried to bring in the Dharmic holograms, etc. But there is a page dedicated for Rivers of Rigveda, where you can see all the digital maps which are like uh, published as part of this book as separately you can actually go and analyze them and then the my website ancient voice which is established uh, some 10 years ago has got an entire uh, like uh, text of rigveda was uh, the english translation of ralph's griffin but uh, definitely as a help uh, anybody who has uh, to understand rigveda in detail and uh, when i say it because uh, most of the time Unlike Mahabharata or Ramayana, uh, the, the amount of uh, understanding about uh, Rigveda and what it contains, its content is very limited. Uh, it actually, I am able to understand it in all my conversation with the uh, scholars and uh, general public. So that is why it's important, like uh, anybody like uh, focused or interested in Rigveda, understand uh, the text of Rigveda in a, a little more detailed manner. And uh, then, like a lot of interesting aspects in the Rigveda comes out. So uh, that is uh, some some kind of uh, introduction I want to tell. And those people who are looking at now what what is the what they will be getting when they are buying this book. This is the table of content, which uh, we can see around 30, 35 chapters are there. Every uh, river, uh, like. Uh, uh, Ganga, Yamuna, Saraswati, Trishadvati, Abhaya, uh, Vipas, Sudutri, Yamuna, uh, 
Harishri, uh, Asikni, and uh, Vibali, uh, and then Maridprata, Sindhu, Sarayu, Urjayan, then some of the very unknown rivers like Urjayandi, Sarapas, Shifa, Anjasi, and Tulsi. So uh, then Anitapha, Gomadi, and uh, like that. So, so many rivers are there. Why I'm saying is because uh, many people talk about, whenever uh, talk about uh, rivers of Rigveda, they will primarily talk about Saraswati. And of course, a lot of books are authored uh, on Rigvedic river Saraswati. But this is uh, the one book uh, in which uh, every uh, every river, around 31st rivers in Rigveda, both very fam- uh, some of them very familiar, like Satlaj and uh, Vyas, uh, but others very unfamiliar. Like uh, I, I have discussed in even in the research community, they are unfamiliar with the uh, rivers like Shifa, uh, Anjasi, and uh, Tulsi, which are local rivers in Haryana. And uh, many of the people confuse uh, the Gomati River. So Gomati River is uh, of Rigveda is different from the Gomati River in Uttar Pradesh, the Gomati River of uh, the tributary of Ganga. So this is a Gomati River, uh, which is a tributary of uh, Sindhu, which is discussed in the Rigveda. Currently, it is called Gomal. Gomal is Gomal is the, the name, which is uh, basically a, a kind of a new rendering, the latest rendering of uh, the river Gomati. Prakvati Gomati is now called uh, uh, Gomal. Similarly, the Sarayu River. Uh, everybody is familiar with the Sarayu River of Ramayana, but in the Rigveda, the the Sarayu River is uh, a tributary of Sindhu, similar to Gomati. Uh, and it is currently known as Haro, Haro River. Uh, it is both, both this uh, uh, Sarayu and Gomati are in uh, Pakistan as tributaries of uh, Sindhu River. And um, during the period of Ramayana, the, that names uh, the Gomati and Sarayu, because uh, I will talk about the migration of the Ikshwatus. So they got uh, transposed into the, the Eastern geography, like, uh, uh, and uh, the, the names of the tributaries of Sindhu was uh, transposed to the names of the tributaries of uh, Ganga River. So all these things we will discuss in the talk itself so that more details can be seen uh, in the book. Uh, and I use uh, Sanskritam like, uh, because, you know, when a book is written in English, uh, like the one biggest problem that every author face is uh, that uh, nouns, the very important nouns which are in Sanskritam, they get uh, diluted. For example, uh, when you write Rama in uh, English, R-A-M-A, it can be read like anything, like Rama, uh, or it can be read like Rama. So that uh, clarity is lost when you write books uh, uh, in English. So to avoid that, I use uh, the IAS notations uh, or diacriticals, uh, popularly known as diacriticals, so that I use. So every letter in the Devanagari, every letter in the Sanskritam is represented uh, using this formula that is there in this table. And uh, now, uh, so these are the, like some introductory slides, and now we are directly into the pages inside of the book. So I am just looking, uh, going through the figures which are already present in the book, uh, Reverse of Rigveda, uh, so that in this presentation it is better uh, to showcase these uh, images which are all these. These are all part of the book, so uh, so that uh, the reader will get a very clear understanding. So the first and foremost in the introductory chapters, I have brought in this particular triangle. It is the triangle of Rigvedic transactions. So basically, the, the Rigvedic text uh, it is structured in such a way that you have three uh, three uh, main players or play, three main, main entities. 
so uh, the primary is the devatas like uh, devatas like indra agni varuna then maruts uh, uh, ashwins and uh, so many very rare uh, devatas like ritu devata and then very very rare uh, kind of uh, devatas also is there so i have mentioned around uh, uh, 200 plus devatas uh, in the rigveda and then you have uh, the the kavi or the poet or the composer or the rishi so the like uh, vasishta vishwamitra gautama uh, agastya and then very rare kind of sages like ritsamada so many uh, like uh, rigvedic uh, composers and uh, there is a patterns that they are the kings and chiefs so some of them are dis- uh, designated as uh, raja that is king uh, very few like uh, uh, very few are uh, mentioned as samrat there is chakravarti samrat like so uh, like sudas is obviously a big king and then there is uh, kings uh, many many of the ikshvaku kings trasadasyu they are all uh, like trasadasyu's uh, sons trasadasya these people are considered as samrat and then there are chiefs so they are like uh, maybe lesser kings so these uh, these are the people called patrons and interestingly like sri rama He is also mentioned as a patron in the Rigveda, which uh, many people may not be knowing. So that is the linkage between Rigveda and Ramayana, which I have prominently mentioned in my book. So these three, uh, like uh, devatas, then the poets and the patrons, forms a triangle. Basically, what it says is uh, the the kings. They are engaged in battles and uh, looking for victories in uh, in battle as well as in trade. and the, the the composers or the poets of the rigveda they praise the devatas on behalf of the king and the, the devatas pray, uh, get pleased and they give uh, blessings for both the, both the composers the, the poets and as well as the patron kings so the kings uh, are basically funding all the yagyas and all the uh, events wherein devatas are uh, praised and the rigvedic uh, poetry is nothing but all the this praise of the devatas which are supported by the kings and the, the rishis are the composers of this uh, rigvedic poetry they are called suktas and uh, each uh, sukta is composed of riks and uh, the, that is how the rigveda is structured so this is the entire overall transactions that is happening in the rigveda and uh, what is the religious significance that we have is that the rigvedic poetry is not just mere poetry i mean all it just poetry will be a kind of an understatement it has got a divine syllables so that it will create a kind of a vibration in your in the space as well as in the mind and uh, because of that it has got some divine properties and uh, that is what results into some kind of blessing and uh, progress and prosperity for uh, both the reciters as well as for the patron kings so that is uh, how it has been structured and uh, this uh, uh, each of these rigvedic uh, composers uh, they have uh, all mentioned they are all mentioned in a, a index called anukramani that is a rigvedic anukramani uh, which is something like uh, when you are creating a, a article or a document you will have the table of index so table of contents or uh, index so that is the rigvedic anukramani so it is a general misconception that uh, many people uh, popularly with a very uh, very shallow or a very far away understanding of the vedas uh, they say that uh, the rishis you should you should uh, 
the Rishis actually composed the Uttas, but uh, they, they, they didn't uh, put their name on it. But it is not true because uh, in the Rigvedic Anikramani, uh, the entire information is captured like which Rishi has composed which uh, Sutta. So, like uh, for example, the Sutta number 101, uh, that is the first Sutta in the first mandala, that is Mathu Chandas Vaishwamitra is uh, composed. That is a disciple uh, of or uh, descendant of Vishwamitra. And it is uh, authored in Gayatri Meter. And similarly, the Sutta number 29 of the first uh, mandala, it is for the Devada Indra. And uh, it is uh, authored by Sunnah Shepa Ajikatri, who is a famous disciple of uh, Vishwamitra in the Pankti Meter. So again, uh, there is uh, uh, the 85th uh, Sutta of the 8th mandala for Ashwins by Krishna and Girasa. And it is in Gayatri. So with this slide, I am actually giving you two information about uh, that it is not true that uh, the Rigvedic uh, hymns uh, or suttas are without any attribution, without any composer name. Uh, and second thing I am trying to bring out is the Gayatri Mantra is very famous, uh, like, uh, uh, like the Vishwamitra's Gayatri Mantra. But uh, many people go to the uh, conclusion that that is the only mantra which is authored in Gayatri meter. It is not true because uh, the Rigveda, the, the primarily it has uh, Anushtub, uh, Trishtub and Gayatri, then many other very rare kind of meters or uh, Chandas like uh, Pankti etc. So uh, apart from the Gayatri, famous Gayatri mantra, so many uh, Rigvedic uh, suttas are composed in Gayatri meter. Uh, and it is a very very popular uh, meter in the, in the Rigveda. And now uh, this is the slide it gives an introduction to the ten mandalas of uh, uh, Rigveda. The uh, uh, maybe a basic level knowledge that everybody will be having is that Rigveda is having ten mandalas. Uh, but uh, the uh, it is the order of uh, in which uh, these mandalas is, uh, are currently enumerated. That is not the order in which they are originated. So, for example, sixth mandala is the oldest mandala, then comes third, then comes seventh, and these three constitute the early Rigvedic period. And the, 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 the middle mandalas, uh, the mandala four and uh, two, and then uh, the late mandalas five, eight, nine, ten. So, only the last three mandalas, eight, nine, and ten, are uh, in numerically and chronologically in the same sequence. But otherwise, uh, the mandala chronology, uh, it's uh, the sixth is the oldest uh, mandala. And uh, this particular chronology is developed by Srikanth Talagari in his uh, two books. I would recommend to everybody to read. And uh, the, for example, the, the rational also everything is uh, like uh, mentioned in the book, the two foundational books of Srikanth Talagari. So I have not uh, dwelt uh, deeply into the chronology, uh, only like I used it as a basis. And uh, the, it's a completely logically uh, very clear uh, why these mandalas are considered uh, in this manner. Because the sixth mandala, the Bharat, uh, the Bharatvaja Rishi and the king Devodasa is considered as uh, the contemporary king. Uh, whereas uh, in the third mandala and in the seventh mandala, Devodasa's descendant, Sudas, uh, Sudas, that is the, one of the most famous king of Rigveda, is considered as contemporary. So this uh, all of these relationships automatically uh, tells you that this uh, sixth mandala is the oldest, the third and seventh mandala is uh, subsequent. So why there the, the Three and seven both are contemporary and both are authored during the period of Sudas. 
but there, there are two different mandalas because third mandala is ordered by vishwamitra and the seventh is ordered by vasishta and both of these two people are the gurus of uh, two guru of uh, sudas so sudas had uh, vishwamitra as the oldest uh, advisor and after that uh, vishwamitra actually uh, left uh, sudas uh, maybe uh, for for his personal ambitions uh, and at that time Vish, uh, like uh, vasishta took the role of uh, the advisor of uh, sudas so uh, both the vishwamitra has composed the hymns and uh, vasishta has composed it so they are spanning into two mandalas third and seventh similarly the sudas has got a, a descendant sahadeva not to be confused with the pandava sahadeva but uh, he is the son of sudas and uh, sahadeva's uh, son somaka so somaka is more or less mentioned as a contemporary in the fourth mandala so this is why this is why this particular relationship between kings and ascetics so for example the children or the descendants of the sages who are composed suktas in the earlier mandala they will come as the composers of the mandalas the suktas in the later mandalas so because of the the child parent relationship of both the kings as well as the composers we can actually create a chronology and that is how this chronology is created and you may be seeing the top level there are in the blue color you see a lot of the, the first mandala is broken up into small small pieces It is a very complex mandala in the Rigveda because different part of the first mandala is ordered at different times. So the early part of the first mandala is ordered during the period of Sahadeva, whereas the middle part is more or less during the period of Som, uh, Sahadeva and Somaka, and the late uh, period uh, in a later period, contemporary to the fifth and eighth mandala. And there is another category, that A and B, the general A and B category of the first mandala suttas. Which are like uh, it's very difficult to classify. So more or less, uh, they are like uh, later than the early part of the first mandala. So this is how the this is the kind of a structure of the Veda. For a novice, this may appear like a very complex, uh, but uh, this is the foundation of uh, any any of the Rigvedic studies that uh, we can undertake. And uh, this is the next level detailing of the chronology where. Mandala level, we know okay, more or less these mandalas are older. These mandalas are younger. But what about the suttas? So even the suttas, sometimes uh, some suttas may be uh, found in the older mandala, but they may be younger. Uh, so that is the situation. So that uh, granular level understanding also we have because of the 50 to 70 years of research on the Rigveda. These are all foundational things. Uh, this granular level. So Aitreya Brahmana is uh, the one of the Brahmana text. Aitreya Brahmana provides uh, you with uh, like some of the Late hymns in the early mandala, like third mandala of Vishwamitra, the the green color ones, thirty, thirty-one, thirty-four, thirty-six. These are all late hymns declared by Aitareya Brahmana. Then uh, one of the intellectuals, Oldenburg, has uh, studied the suktas, early Rigvedic mandalas, and uh, these blue color suktas. They are they are all declared as uh, late in the early mandalas. So this is like relatively later. Not to be confused that they are all authored much later, but relatively compared to the other suttas in the particular mandala, these are later. So these blue color and green color uh, sutta numbers uh, provided by the traditional text called Aitreya Brahmana, as well as uh, by the Indology studies by Oldenburg and other uh, Indology researchers. So I one point I have to make here because I this point I always make in all my talks. 
the Rigvedic study is uh, supported by uh, both by the traditional scholars as well as by the Western scholars. And uh, it, we currently in our in a kind of matured research area, it is good that uh, we understand that it's a collaborative study wherein uh, both the traditional as well as the like the Indology researchers collaborate and uh, bring out new insights into the Rigvedic text. And uh, this is also an answer for the, some of the traditional scholars who uh, automatically assume that all the Rigveda is authored at the same time. Because if that is the case, then there will not be any kind of statement in the Aitreya Brahmana that some of the suttas are late. So uh, Aitreya Brahmana, our traditional text itself uh, recognized that the Rigvedic uh, suttas and mandalas are authored in a period of time. Chronologically, some of them older, some of them younger. So this understanding is there in tradition itself, not something that is coming from the Western side. That is the, the slide insertion. And now if I move it, this is the first uh, mandala because I said it's very complex. So uh, in order for my research, uh, I have uh, like created a map of the first mandala so that whenever I am referring any river name or any data in the Rigveda, I know that okay, this particular data is coming from a relatively younger or uh, later layer in the first mandala. So I don't want to go into details because it will be a very high level detail for the current uh, readers, uh, current uh, viewers. We just move into the other side, which is more interesting. So here, whatever you are seeing is the, the royal lineages that are found in the Rigveda. So many of you are familiar with the Mahabharata, Ramayana, royal lineages. Like, uh, you know, Dasharatha, Dasharatha's father, Aja, uh, Aja's uh, father, uh, like uh, Dilipa, like that, in the Ikshwagoli lineage. And similarly, in the Mahabharata, people know, okay, Parishit's father is Abhimanyu, Abhimanyu's father, Arjuna, Arjuna's father, Pandu, Pandu's father, Vijitravirya, Vijitravirya's father, Shantanu, like that. Uh, but uh, this similar kind of a uh, lineage tree is also there uh, in the Rigveda. But it is not very very obvious. So you need like uh, in the Mahabharata, you can have direct statements. Okay, this entire lineage will be mentioned in a uh, segment of verses. You straight away go and uh, take a note of it. But in the Rigveda, it is a very complex and uh, a considerable part of the research goes into unearthing these uh, names of the uh, kings and uh, develop a chronology. Uh, develop a lineage because these are not very obviously mentioned in the Rigveda. Uh, the connections are not very clear uh, compared to whatever is seen in Ramayana and the Mahabharata. So, uh, but this is anyway the final output uh, so that I can, I'm happy to present this to the readers. This is also there in the book. So, the oldest, uh, the, the most famous uh, lineage in the Rigveda is the Bharata, and it's the same Bharata lineage mentioned in the Mahabharata. So the, the, Bharata, the king Bharata is the old, one of the oldest king mentioned in the Rigveda. And uh, there was a lineage starting from Bharata called Devavata. Yeah, of course, uh, Devavata is uh, not very famous, familiar because there, there is nothing mentioned about Devavata in the Mahabharata and Ramayana because this is a Panchala lineage. So you know that uh, Ramayana it is dominated by the Purus. And uh, the Purus in general have an animosity to the Panchalas. So, because of this, this is a Panchala line, they didn't give much importance uh, to the Panchala line in the uh, Mahabharata. But in the Rigveda, there is no such uh, no dominance of the Purus, at least not in the beginning of the beginning stages of the Rigveda. 
So they in the in the Rigveda you see the kings like Devavata, which are which are in the Panchala lineage. And of course, uh, the name Panchala is not uh, there in Rigveda. It's a late late developed uh, terminology. Uh, it only means that there are five confederation of uh, clans. They they decided to join together to form a Janapada, and that is why it is called Panchala. And uh, in the Rigveda, they are called Tritsus or the Tritsu Bharatas, the so Tritsu branch of the Bharata lineage. Which is famously known as Panchalas in the Mahabharata. So they are both identical. So that's why I put here. Uh, so uh, here is the Trutsubharatas, and you can see here the Panchalas. They, they are all the same, but in the towards the younger side, they are called Panchalas, but in the early Rigvedic period, they are called Trutsus. So you have Bharata, Devavata, Srinjaya, Vadhyaswa, Vimodasa, Pradardana, Pijavana, and Sudas, uh, like that, uh, Sahadeva, and Somaka. And descendants of Somaka, that time it, uh, the lineage was called Panchala because it uh, uh, contained, it started uh, having a confederation of multiple tribes, Trutsu being one of them. And the, the, this uh, Somakas were considered as a separate tribe and uh, Srinjayas. So these are all branching, branching uh, parts of the family tree. They were all considered as separate, separate. And then there are total five such clans. They are called Panchalas. So this is the Panchala lineage. Then there is a Parthava lineage, which is an Iranian lineage. So you have uh, kings like Chayamana, like Abhyavartin, and then Kavi Chayamana. And Kavi Chayamana is famous in the Puranas as Sukracharya. So you can make that connection here. And they are all uh, very prominently appearing into the battles in the Rigveda. So Abhyavartin Chayamana, he was a friend of Srinjaya. But after some time, when the, the Srinjaya's descendant Sudha's period, the Abhyavartin's descendant Kavi Chayamana became an enemy. So these people, these uh, Kavi Chayamana and Sudha's were mortal enemies. Uh, they fought a battle, and you know that name, Dasharajana battle. Uh, the Dasharajana battle was between these. Earlier, they were friends, like uh, their ancestors were friends, but in their descendant period, they were having some animosity and they fought each other. And uh, are, then there is the other Bharatas. That is, a, there is another lineage of Bharatas. Just like the Panchala lineage, there was another lineage of Bharatas. So that is lineage is here. The Riksha and Samvarana, Ajangala, Riksha, Samvarana, like that. And Samvarana's descendants are Kuru. And Kuru's uh, like descendant Pradiba, then Devapi and Shantanu. So uh, like many of the people can have a sense of relief, like they see the familiar names. Yes, the other Bharatas, uh, like are not very much uh, very much detailed into the Rigveda, but of course uh, Mahabharata is a is a text which was actually authored uh, under the patronage of the the other Bharatas, that is the descendants of uh, Samvarana and Kuru, now, that is a Pandavas and Kauravas. So Veda Vyasa, who is a descendant of Vasishta, became very much uh, associated with the Kurus, and uh, he has created a history for the this. Uh, Kauravas and Pandavas, and that is the, the historical narrative that he has created, that is the Mahabharata. So, obviously, the Mahabharata will talk a lot about the other Bharatas, but in the Rigveda, exactly like in the case of, uh, like, like in the Mahabharata, not much is mentioned about the lineage of the Panchalas. Similarly, in the Rigveda, the dominance is to the Panchala lineage, and uh, very much less is talked about the other Bharatas. Only the king Shantanu is mentioned very prominently in the Rigveda. Remaining all like just vague and uh, very, uh, we need to like uh, make the associations based on some inferences and uh, like uh, conjectures.
So only the Santanoli uh, Santanu is mentioned very clearly, and Santanu's brother Devapi is mentioned as a Rishi uh, in the uh, Rigveda. And uh, Kuru is not directly mentioned, but there is a king called Purushravana. And the, this uh, it is Purushravana is there in the Rigveda. And of course, uh, this uh, whatever uh, the lineage of Kuru is not pure blood uh, Bharatas. It is a kind of mixture of Ikshwaku lineage. And uh, that Ikshwaku lineage also is not the exact uh, uh, the Rama's lineage, but a Western Ikshwaku lineage that is called Trikshis. And uh, you may be familiar with the Trikshis because they appear as uh, like uh, the names like Jadayu, Sampadi, and Garuda. They are all Trikshis. They are Western Ikshagu people. Uh, that is why we have a synonym of uh, Garuda is called Takshya. So Takshya means uh, descendant of Trikshi and uh, member of the Trikshu lineage, uh, Trikshi lineage. So Trikshi is a kind of a Western branch of the Ikshwagos, while Sri Rama and Dasharada are an Eastern branch of the Ikshwagos. So Ikshwagu branch has two, two divisions, Western and Eastern. And the Western branch of the Ikshwagos and uh, this uh, Samvarana branch of the Bharatas, they merge together and that is what the Kuru lineage is. So Kurus, uh, they have uh, both the uh, Ikshwaku and uh, uh, like uh, Bharata, like ancestral uh, bloods in the, running in them. And of course, uh, like uh, for the Eastern Ikshwakus, uh, the Valmiki has created a his historical narrative and that is Ramayana. So I think uh, by this slide itself, uh, you might have got some clarity about how the Ramana and Mahabharata, two great itihasas, are connected with the Rigveda. And uh, similarly, if you look at uh, this, is a lineage tree of the composers or the sages. Uh, like, uh, so you have a Brigu lineage in the, that is Brigu, Jamadagni. This is a Parashirama. And then, so then he saw his descendants in the 10th Mandala period. And then Angira's lineage, like this and uh, Bharadwaja lineage, Vasishta lineage, Vasishta Shakti Parashara, like that, and then Agastya lineage, Kutsa lineage, and some of the kings themselves are peerless composers, like that is what Dimodasa, they are his king, but also as a composer in the Rigveda. So this is another misconception. People have all the composers of the Rigveda are rishis. That is not correct. Some of the kings themselves compose uh, suktas. So we have suktas uh, which are composed by Devodasa, and you can see here some uh, other Bharatas, uh, you know, some of them like uh, appear like composed. Devapi, for example, is a composer. So like that, you can see some of the kings also become composers. Bharadwaja is basically considered as the biological father of uh, this uh, Ajamita lineage, even though Bharata is considered as, he, is a, he mentions an ado adopted son. Bharata adopted the son of Bharatwaja. So even Bharata and Bharatwaja have uh, some kind of uh, uh, interconnections. So those are all things uh, there in mentioned in Mahabharata and the uh, same thing is uh, partially reflected in the Rigveda. So this I am not, not going into detail of this particular slide. Just to understand that just similar to the lineage tree of kings, there is a lineage tree of the ascetics as well. And then now we go, this is all uh, in the introductory chapters and now we go to the Zero point of the Rigvedic geography. This is a, how I start the geographical analysis of the Rigveda. So, uh, the most prominently mentioned uh, in the Rigveda in the sixth mandala is few places named Manusha and Ilaspada. 
Big Brother is very, very, very much conservative in giving names of the places. Unlike in Rama and Mahabharata, you have hundreds and uh, hundreds of places, which I have plotted in uh, some of the uh, uh, Mahabharata Varsha maps, which is all on public domain, highly popular. But uh, when I started analyzing Rig Veda, the very less, less number of place names are mentioned. And but these are the most sacred place names mentioned in Rig Veda in the earliest mandala, Manusha and Vilaspada. And they are all located in the Taital in the Haryana. So this one slide itself breaks away the, the demolished Aryan invasion theory. Because the oldest place names mentioned in Rigveda in the oldest text is about a location in Haryana. And there is no point in arguing anything like they are coming from Afghanistan and stuff like that, or Central Asia, etc. Because the first uh, sixth mandala itself uh, totally uh, like uh, discredit the entire Aryan invasion theory. And this particular Vilaspada is called Shergar now, and uh, Manusha is called Manas here. And uh, there is uh, another location on the river Abaya, which is a central river uh, which is flowing between Saraswati and Rishadvati rivers. Uh, and uh, that is currently called Gatli. All of them are actually pilgrim centers now. You can visit them as part of the 48 course Parikrama uh, kind of a pilgrimage program, uh, which is uh, in the Haryana. You see it. And uh, this, this is the first uh, slide itself. Uh, I am actually uh, breaking away from the Aryan image. And then I have uh, more details like uh, some of the rivers mentioned in the sixth mandala, like Yavyavati and Hariyupya. They are all uh, rivers in Haryana. So Hariyupya is another name of the Drishadvati. And uh, Yavyavati is uh, uh, another name for a oldest old channel of Yamuna. So there is a western channel of Yamuna. Currently, it, is, it, is, it has become a canal, like the Western Yamuna Canal, like that. But earlier, it was a river. It was an older channel of the Yamuna River itself. And the rivers change their, their uh, migration. Rivers also have some slight migration. So rivers change uh, some course, uh, like uh, the, their, uh, their path may migrate to west or east, uh, depending upon the dynamics. So even in, within 500 years, you can see uh, changes in the path of the rivers. So current Yamuna is flowing like this, but it was a little bit uh, like uh, you can say around five kilometers to the west, uh, the, the flow was in the, like that. So these two rivers, Yabhavadi and uh, Hariyupi are mentioned as like uh, two cows racing each other. Like that means two parallel rivers flowing. No, that, is, that way it is described. So in my book, my book, it is very much detailed. So I don't not going in detail. And this particular map you see, it's a more clear map, uh, which uh, I have created. Saraswati and Rishadvati and the central river Apaya, you can see. And uh, this particular region, this is a triangle, a rectangular region, uh, which is called well defined in the Mahabharata as a, a four cornered Kurukshetra with uh, four corners like Tarantuka, Arantuka, here is Arantuka, and uh, Ramakrata and Majakrata. All the current location names are provided. And this particular location is mentioned in the Rigveda as Varaprathavya, that is the best place. Uh, in the world. That, that is the, the reason why they call it is because this is their homeland. So everybody have a sentiment towards their homeland. So they call it Vara Prathivya, Napha Prathivya, the navel of the world and the, the best place in the world. Now why they, they didn't use the word Kurukshetra? Because Kuru, King Kuru was not born yet. And in, uh, I have analyzed and uh, it was in the 10th Mandala or in the late Rikvedic period, uh, the King Kuru was born. And uh, he was the one person who renamed the entire area as Kurukshetra. So uh, Rigveda uh, has uh, no knowledge of the name Kuru until it is the last stages of the Rigvedic period. 
So that is why there is a Nafa Prithvya, the older name of the Rudshetra was there mentioned in the Rigveda. And is very prominently mentioned in multiple places and I have given references in my book. And uh, similarly, the Sapta Sindhu, which is the name, which is a source of uh, the name Hindu. So, this is a uh, Sapta Sindhu is a kind of region adjacent to the Varaprathi. Varaprathi is Haryana, Sapta Sindhu is Punjab. And of course, uh, the, there, earlier there were seven rivers, now it is reduced to five rivers. So, the disappeared rivers are like Marutpratha, and there is a Vibali. These are the different channels of the Jalam River. So the, this is the current channel of the Jalam River. And uh, Jalam River had an uh, older flow like this. Instead of uh, like merging with other uh, like channel, uh, the Jalam River was flowing directly to Sindhu River. And this channel can be currently seen in Pakistan in the hydrology maps it is there. And this particular channel is called Vibali. And similarly, the Vitasta, the Jalam River had a different flow. Uh, another uh, distributary and that is called the Marudvitha. And it was flowing like this and uh, merging with the Parushni river or Ravi river. So, because these two rivers are disappeared, and uh, currently the number of rivers are five. That is Satlaj, Sudutri, Bias, that is Vibash, Vipasha, one, two, and uh, Parushni, that is uh, Iravati or Ravi river, third river. And then uh, Asikni. That is Chanab River, and this is the Vitasta, that is Jalam River. So, totally only five rivers. That is, this Sapta Sindhu is now reduced to Panchanada or Panchab. Only five rivers. Earlier, the seven rivers, now the five. So, that is Sapta Sindhu, all like that. So, the two prominent regions, more regions I have mentioned, like Gandhara region, and uh, that is in the, the uh, somewhere in the to the west side, currently Charasada. The north, uh, north uh, western Pakistan area, the Gandhara region, where the Gandharvas were there. So Gandhara and Gandharva, the names are very rhyming because uh, earlier the the region was known as the Gandharva region. The Gandharva, of course, in the Puranas they were considered as a divine beings uh, and uh, as uh, kind of a spirit. But in the earlier Rigvedic period, they were mentioned as people, the Gandharva people, and uh, they are residents. Their domain is called Gandharva region and that has become Gandhara. And then there is, there is uh, Sharyanavati region that is currently Takshashila, where the city of Takshashila and uh, Islamabad, all these uh, places are located uh, and uh, during the Rigvedic period is called Sharyanavati, Sharyanavati region. So, so many other regions I have mentioned. And uh, these are some of the kingdoms or uh, tribes. I am talking about the Kikadas. Uh, this is like uh, one of the big research area. A lot of researchers are uh, debating where they are located, etc. So in my uh, book, I have locating them. Uh, I have based on my analysis, I locate them in between the Yamuna and the Ganga rivers. But uh, uh, at some point of time, Vishwamitra advises Sudas, the uh, like his, uh, uh, his disciple Sudas, uh, let us uh, attack Kikada. But uh, Sudas have some other preoccupation. So Vishwamitra himself came and attacked uh, the Kikada and annexed uh, it. And then the Kikadas moved to the west, west uh, to the east of Ganga. And uh, uh, so this is what uh, all this uh, I have shown here like this. Uh, and the Kikadas, what happened? They started migrating along the Ganga to the east. Uh, like uh, and this is the like uh, this is the kind of uh, migratory path of the Kikadas, finally ending at uh, the Girivraja. Girivraja is the Bihar. Uh, this Girnar uh, uh, that is the Magadha. So the many scholars have noted the connection, the relationship between Kikadas and the uh, Magadhas. 
because the names uh, of the kings are matching but uh, the one of the important part is missing part is the migration and this migration you will be able to see only in ramayana so only a comparative analysis of ramayana and uh, mahabharata is rigveda you get this migration very clearly because uh, the it is mentioned in mahabharata that uh, the ancestors of the magadha ruled from mahodayapura that is in here in uttar pradesh like that and uh, some of the their related people have like uh, ruled from kanya kutcha and uh, kaushambi like, like that so there is a connection and uh, finally they they went to dharmaranya that is the uh, gaya currently gaya, gaya region and then to grivaraja so this entire migration you can only see in the ramana and only if you read ramana and rigveda together you get it and uh, then you have this uh, malsyas so in the mahabharata you meant you have a virat nagari and then the malsyas are there pandavas live there in next this incognito agnyadavas but in the rigvedic period the malsyas were a little more northern uh, towards the yamuna region and sudas had to uh, have uh, as part of his expansion program uh, uh, sudas has uh, conquered the malsyas and some of them migrated to the south established in virat nagari some of them stayed there itself and satyavati the uh, the queen of shantanu actually part of this malsyas that is why you see satyavati in the yamuna region whereas the other malsyas like uh, the virata and uh, uttara all of them are in the virata nagari to the south just uh, uh, see how much uh, time there for it yeah so i will just skim uh, fast Uh, and you can see here uh, this here is this little more bigger map where there is a virat nagari shown here and this is the palaprakriya region etc and some of the rivers i mentioned shipa that is the sahibi river in the delhi and then anjasi that is a, another name for yavyavati and ariyukya that is another name for dushatvadi it's also called kulsi and raupya in mahabharata and then apaka like that and saraswati is another name is virabakni like that so here there is another another janapada which is uh, chedi uh, this is also very famous for anybody reading the mahabharata chedi king shishupala everything we know everything uh, all of them. so the chedis were earlier settled in somewhere south of saraswati uh, there was an arid region there and uh, there was camels men- are mentioned uh, like uh, associated with the chedi uh, like whenever the chedi rulers uh, no, they give a gift of camels to the composers so this is another point the uh, why i am putting is many of the researchers are interested in uh, placing rigveda into 12000 bc 20000 bc etc but the rigvedic data don't allow it because it uh, talks about camels and arid climatic conditions so such arid climatic conditions uh, were la- like uh, available are uh, like somewhere in the close to the desecration of saraswati so when saraswati the middle part got uh, dried up and the southern part of the saraswati got dried up then the use of camels were required so all these uh, chedi uh, gifting camels etc indicate uh, the rigveda has been placed relative to younger periods that is why i am placing it around uh, 3300 bc to uh, the end of the 10th mandala at 1900 bc 1900 bc is considered as uh, like uh, the complete triumph of the saraswati in the middle part so they are all matching up and second thing is you can see the chedi finally goes to the current the aidihasik location somewhere in the bundelkhand area shuktamadi as the capital etc you can see here my guide uh, and uh, now this is a slide which shows 
like uh, in the mahabharata we know sahastinapur and uh, other uh, places in the ganga region uh, but the oldest place uh, another oldest place is mentioned it is yellow color you can see the urukaksha this is considered as a trade center and the panis the panis uh, the currently called baniya they are all derived from the word pani so they were the ancient traders who are mentioned predominantly in the rigveda uh, one of the trade centers were there in the ganga region that is called urukaksha and uh, this is uh, arguably the ancient location where the hastinapura city is built later by shantanu and uh, that, that also I, why the i considered shantanu as the person who established hasti hastinapura i have mentioned in my book because uh, their their migration is uh, showing it that like that this is the yadava migration so yadavas also one tribe which has uh, conflict with uh, the sudas and uh, some of them migrated to mathura and some of the others migrated along saraswati river and established into the southern ocean like dwaraka like that that is why in the mahabharata you see some yadavas there in the mathura and some others in the dwaraka so this whole migration started during the rigvedic period starting with the reign of sudas uh, the, the most famous king in the rigved and uh, similarly the vishamitra's lineage kushika lineage so vishamitra as i mentioned he started uh, uh, conquering the kikada and then uh, slowly the vishamitra lineage also migrated in this way following the kikadas uh, because uh, in some point in the mahabharata ramayana you will see vishamitra associated with kanyakuja and uh, in the ramayana again he is associated with the siddhasrama siddhasrama is where rama and vishamitra were together fighting tadaka and uh, maricha so that is the period here and later you can see kaushiki river that is the river named after the kushika lineage the vishamitra lineage which is a kosi river in bihar so you can see a clear pattern of migration from haryana saraswati region uh, going to kanauj kanyagupta and then to sitasrama and finally to kaushiki that is kosi river in bihar so that is a kikada migration and this is what i have mentioned about shantanu and all so how the this uh, you know the father of shantanu is pradipa and after that pradipa shantanu so poetically uh, the shantanu is mentioned as marrying uh, hastinapura i mean sorry marrying ganga but you don't know very uh, very if you if you look for very detail only people with uh, detail uh, they will know that earlier there was a plan that uh, pradipa marries shantanu pradipa mary ganga so first of all like uh, the poet mentioned that ganga first proposed uh, herself to pradipa and pradipa said no no i am not uh, capable of marrying you uh, my son shantanu will marry you so what it's a political it's a political statement uh, like camouflaged in the poetry so what is means is that the saraswati was trying right so the bharata all the kings including bharatas and ikshvakus everybody was trying to find out another better place and uh, the west river after saraswati is ganga ganga river so discovery of ganga is uh, one of the important aspects of for uh, uh, the ikshvakus discovered it and that is what uh, narrated in the story of bhagiratha discovering ganga uh, similarly the kurus also discovered ganga that is means they also migrated to the ganga and that particular historical fact is uh, mentioned that shantanu married ganga the marriage of shantanu the marriage of ganga by shantanu is nothing but shantanu establishing themselves himself in ganga region and uh, things become clear when you understand that even pradipa tried to like uh, uh, i mean 
Pradeep also had an interest in uh, like establishing himself in Ganga. But it was not uh, materializing only in the next generation, it was materialized. That is why the poet says uh, Ganga first proposed to Pradeepa finally, but when Ganga married Shantanu. Similar thing in Ramayana, so you see, look at there was an attempt by uh, Bhagiratha's father to be uh, to bring Ganga. That is uh, Bhagiratha's father, Dilibayam, I guess. So he tried uh, first, uh, but he was not successful and he died. And the, the Ramana poet says subsequently Bhagiratha was successful in uh, getting Ganga. So you see, in the earlier generation, there was attempts, like even both in the Kuru case as well as in the Ekshwaku case, they tried to be uh, in Ganga, uh, established themselves in Ganga. But uh, only in the subsequent generation, they were getting success uh, in establishing themselves in Ganga. Uh, but all of them are mentioned poetically in the uh, Mahabharata and Ramayana. And Varanavati, uh, which is to the west of Hastinapura, was the capital of Pradipa. Because he tried, but he didn't get. So he his, his, he was somewhat migrating from the this Kurukshetra uh, Varaprathivya region, and uh, on his way to reach Ganga, he established himself at Varanavati, and only later in the Shantanu period, Hastinapura is established. And then, of course, this line shows like uh, when there was a kind of a dispute between Pandavas and Kauravas, Dhritarashtra said, "Oh, you go to uh, this uh, west of uh, Yamuna." Because the west of Yamuna is their ancestral region. So, Dhritarashtra is pushing them away into the ancestral region, which was they have discarded earlier. And there is also a significance why Dhritarashtra was putting them into the this west of uh, Yamuna river. Because the, their rivals, Panchalas, uh, had earlier ruling from the southern part of the Kurukshetra. So, it's a big, big uh, story if I tell. Because uh, the Sudhas, the king of uh, the ancestral king of the Panchalas uh, have uh, exiled somewhere or another the Bharata king, uh, the, that is the ancestor of the Pandavas, to west. And he lived in Sindhu region, like uh, Sarayu Sindhu region. And uh, Vasishta came and then he established an alliance of uh, Samvarana Bharata with the Ikshwagus. Uh, but not the Ramana, I mean, Ramas, uh, Eastern Ikshwagus, but with the Western Ikshwagus. Uh, Western Ikshagus and uh, uh, the Samarana Bharata, they got an alliance. As a result of that alliance, the Kuru lineage uh, started. And the King Kuru came back and claimed uh, the Varaprathivya and renamed it as Kurukshetra. And what he did, he pushed the Panchalas to the south. So the Panchalas were living in the Delhi area. And uh, finally, uh, subsequently, because the area was not properly livable, they moved to Ganga and established in the Kampilya and Ahichatra. So, Dhritarashtra was pushing them uh, into the, this territory which was nobody wanted it, no, 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 no kingdom wanted, no people wanted it. So, in that uh, desert, uh, it's a forest bushland he pushed them. So, these are all connected and only when you look at through the data, you get this connection. And here is the Dasharajna battle, uh, which I am just uh, showing pictorially. So, it's a, uh, one important factor of Dasharajna battle is, now today, we our soldiers are fighting in the border with the Pakistanis, etc. And uh, very surprisingly, the Dasharajna battle, if you look at geographically, it is happening at the border, India-Pakistan border, because this Parishni river, uh, it is mentioned as Iravadi in, in the Mahabharata, currently called Ravi river, is actually a border river. And uh, the Sudhas was fighting from here, and the ten confederation of the ten kings were fighting from here. And in that, you see the Pakhtuns and uh, the Baruchis, the Pakhtas and Palanas, 
Puru. This, this Puru is the Samvarana Bharata, that is the ancestor of the Pandavas. They were all together. And you can see the Abhyavartin Chayamana was the leader of this particular confederation. Prabhu and these are the ancestors of Greeks and Albanians. So all of them fought with the Sudas and they pushed them back. So that also you can see here. And uh, this is a more uh, more like the, the Samarana Bharata is expelled from the uh, Haryana region and then he reached here and then he participated in the Dasharajana battle. Again, he, he got failure. He moved to the, I mentioned like Sindhu Sarayu region. So Sindhu and Sarayu region. Here he was living. And the Western Ikshagos were there in this region and uh, they got an alliance. And finally, they came back and reclaimed uh, the Purush, uh, this Varapratya, renamed it at Purushetra. And these are some of the slides which shows the river dynamics, like uh, the river uh, in the 10th, 4th and 5th Mandala, you see the river is like this, like uh, you can see Kuba, Kumu, Mahatma, Gomati, the, the flow is like this. You see the change in the 10th Mandala, like the river flow become like this. Some of the rivers merge together like that. And now in the 10th, after 10th Mandala, this is how we see it up today. So this is showing, uh, and these are all captured in the Rigveda in the form of uh, verses. You can see it. And uh, here is what I mentioned about the Ikshwagos. This is a very important piece of uh, the book. The Ikshwagos migrating from the Gujarat uh, Sea area. Because the Rigveda have a lot of uh, information about sea, much more than Saraswati. So their earlier location was close to the sea. And that is the Gujarat Sea. From there, they migrated along the Saraswati Sindhu rivers. And from here, uh, they diverged. This is the Rama's lineage, the Eastern Ikshwagos going to Gomati and Sarayu. And uh, this is the Western Ikshwagos, Gomati and Sarayu again. Right? In the Gomati and Sarayu both in the east. Gomati is in the east, Gomati is in the west. Sarayu is in the west, Sarayu is in the east. So like that, they migrated. And uh, another important factor is the Saraswati uh, is also the ancestral Sarayu river where the, the kings like Sagara ruled. And that's all very clear. Like uh, I have uh, created a kind of a logical, uh, lo a logical block, which will clearly show that uh, there was an, uh, another, uh, another, another Ayodhya and another Sarai, uh, the straight in the uh, Ramana itself. Because uh, it mentioned about uh, like uh, Sagara's and Asamanjas throwing uh, children into the river Sarai. But at that time, uh, like Ganga itself is not there, like uh, because Asamanjas uh, descendant is uh, Amshuman, Amshuman descendant is Liba and then Bhagiratha. So Bhagiratha is, uh, as per the Puranic history, Bhagiratha is the person who brings Ganga. And only if Ganga is there, the Sarayu, the, the tributary of Ganga, can exist. So when uh, Bhagiratha's ancestor is mentioned as throwing children into Sarayu, means it is a different Sarayu. That is how we come, across, come to the conclusion that there was two Sarayus, uh, which is evidenced by uh, both Ramayana and the Rigveda. And uh, so there are many, so many uh, places we have corroborated Ramayana and Rigveda. This is one example. The Bharatas, uh, in the Ramayana, people will be knowing the when the Ramayana's coronation happened, Bharata was in Kekaya. So the messengers were uh, sent uh, to fetch uh, people from uh, Bharata and Shatrukna from. Uh, so in their uh, travel narrative, they say they travel through uh, Hastinapura and Purujangala. So this is another uh, question to the people who date Ramayana in uh, like uh, 5000 BC etc. 
because it is impossible because ramana straight away mentioned about place names like kurujangala so kurujangala is not possible unless kuru is born so 5000 bc there is no kuru kuru is a very late king right kuru is just a very close ancestor of pandavas and kauravas uh, if you enumerate pandavas father pandu pandu's father vijitravirya uh, vijitravirya shantanu shantanu's father pradiba and uh, one or two generation kuru so kuru has to be there only, uh, only then kuru jangala can be there so if, when the ramayana poet says kuru jangala it means rama is uh, uh, not very old he is rama is not uh, very old or far away in the prehistory uh, rama's life was very somewhere close to the life of the pandavas so this is a evidence that is uh, ignored uh, by people who consider rama uh, rama to be a very ancient figure in the yuga uh, definitions etc which are emerged very late so you can see this is the ramayana verse uh, 2.2.10 14 where they mention about uh, this particular journey so all these things are there and uh, this is a many other slides uh, very many other information where the ramayana and rigveda are corroborated uh, like yeah, i mentioned about the migration like uh, the sagara asamanja and amshuman is the like uh, the intermediary king that time the chagos were in amshumati there was a conflict uh, between amshumati is another name of yamuna so there is a mathura there are yadavas so amshuman's conflict with the mathura yadavas everything is very clear and then diliba and bhagiratha diliba tried to be reach ganga but he could not but bhagiratha ultimately reached here then rakhu is in bomati and finally uh, from aja onwards aja dasharatha and rama is in the eastern ayodhya where they have established the new city called ayodhya and this is also reason why ayodhya the dating of ayodhya you know it is not very old like in uh, locations in the saraswati region in saraswati 6000 bc 7000 bc easily available sites uh, archaeological sites are available easily for 6000 7000 bc but in uh, ayodhya maximum is 1750 bc because it's a very young sites are uh, discovered in ayodhya the reason is because it is established uh, three generation before rama like uh, aja dasharatha and rama were uh, in ayodhya so before rama 100 years before ayodhya was established and then uh, there are corroborations of uh, ramayana and mahabharata and rigved you can see uh, because this is the migration of the panchalas from vara prithivya to kuru jangala and this is where the uh, panchalas uh, you can located uh, during the rama's period that is why in the in the, the same in the same travel narrative panchala is mentioned as part uh, uh, located in the kuru jangala so this anomaly otherwise it will be anomalous we will say ramana poet is making a mistake but he is not making a mistake panchalas were located in kuru jangala region at that period of time and then the daityas uh, that is like uh, the zoroastrian text uh, the avestans so they mentioned about the uh, 16 lands of the ahuras the ahura whatever in the puranas we call asuras they are the same as the ahuras but the only thing is uh, the zoroastrian consider themselves as positive and they consider devas as negative so rigveda have a lot of information about uh, the 16 lands of the asuras or the daityas Uh, they are we, i call it them daityas because their sacred river is named daitya this is all surprising for many of the people who are listening it first time but uh, this is the uh, straight away in the vengida the avestan text vengida it is mentioned the sacred river of the asuras is called daitya daitya river and uh, here you can see 
the current location of the paktas and balanas they were participants of the dasaragna battle uh, currently creating problem for the world um, with the taliban etc and the balanas anyway they are the baluchis we are who are on our side right now but the paktas completely gone and uh, yeah here there is uh, that uh, migration start of the paktas from here the Gandhara, this is the Gandhara region that is you can see in the Pakistan boundaries here. There is a valley like a, like a Kashmir valley, there is a Charasatta valley, and that is the Gandhara. From there, they migrated to the Afghanistan and gave the name Kandahar, province Kandahar. It's a later migration. And here, the entire history of migration from sea, uh, from Gujarat sea, cause how the people migrate to Gomati and Sarayu in the west, as well as Gomati and Sarayu in the east. So, that is what mentioned here. In the west, they go Komati and Sarayu, and in the east, there is the Komati and Sarayu. And the ancestral Sarayu is the Saraswati region. So you have Western and Eastern Ikshakos like that. And uh, Eastern Ikshakos, Rama and Dashrata. Western Ikshakos, we have uh, like uh, Gadayu, uh, Sambadi, and uh, Garuda, all these are Takshyas, Rikshis. They are the Western Ikshakos. And there is a lot of river dynamics. Uh, this is Sarayu River and Arjuniya, Sushoma, etc. I mentioned earlier the Arjigaya and Sushoma, two rivers of Rigveda, where the Soma is uh, very much uh, available. They were tributaries of Sarayu River. Later, they become separate from Sarayu and flowed to Sindhu River. And the Sarayu become a very, very small river with a very less flow. That is why it is not mentioned in the Nadistudi, the biggest data in the Rigveda. The 21 rivers are mentioned straight away in one just single sutta. And here, the emergence of the Uttarapata trade routes, etc., the Sarama and Pani kind of uh, narrative in Rikwada in the 10th mandala, the last mandala. So, towards the last mandala, the roads, everything started, uh, the trade network, everything started coming up. That, this is a slide showing that. And huge amount of information about the ocean. They even named the different types of ocean, etc., in the Rikveda. Large number of information, much more than Saraswati is mentioned about the ocean. They are the, the most ancestral location of the Rigvedic people. The sea land, right? So you can see now the I mentioned about the Urukaksha here in the Ganga. So many other locations uh, where the, the trade uh, trade paths and trade centers. There is a trade path going to China, the, the, the precursor of the Silk Route. The Chinese civilization had a kind of a contact with us in the in the Sindhu Saraswati civilization. And then the Uttarapada trade route connecting with Central Asia. Everything you can see a glimpse in the Rigveda in the last mandala, 10th mandala, etc. And this is the later period uh, wherein the, there was a Vedic expansion to the Videha. And that is the subject of Ramayana, where uh, Sita, Rama marries Sita. So, Videha, one point I will tell, it is the subject of my second book called Ramayana Geography. You see a very strange mention that Janaka was plucking uh, the land. So you see, you feel it's something like a village. That is true because the Videha was just established as a new uh, Vedic kingdom during the period of Rama. So there was nothing much uh, big palaces or anything during the time of uh, Rama, uh, Sita and Janaka. So Sita was uh, more or less like a village girl because just the urban centers were just getting established and Rama marrying Sita at that time. And uh, yeah, uh, some of the uh, the rivers, the, the, the Kabul River is one of the river which is mentioned in Rigveda's Guha. And uh, there are some other uh, Kunar River, which is tributary of Kabul in Afghanistan territory, is mentioned as Ashmavraja, which I am highlighting because it's not mentioned in any of the books on Rigveda. 
and uh, there are a lot of marshlands and deserts in the mentioned in rigveda which is why we cannot date rigveda to a very ancient period like 20000 bc because these are uh, deserts and marshlands are very recent something like 2000 bc 1900 bc period so uh, this indicates that uh, rigveda has to be dated to that when the, this particular desert lands are emerged and uh, there is these are the last slides in the book uh, where i mentioned all the migration in a single map Uh, which shows how the rigvedic people migrated from see this is the dark color is the where the source and from there each mandala progressively they migrated uh, to west north and uh, eastwards like that you can see here and uh, there are some of the connections of uh, rigveda with uh, the uh, archaeological uh, like so i have equated the entire rigvedic geography with uh, the harappan sindhu saraswati civilization sites because you have all the tribes mentioned in rigveda spanning the entire archaeological the map of sindhu sindhu saraswati civilization sites you have the central region the paradas and then the ikshvakus anus refuse all this spread in the entire uh, rigvedic region and uh, one more culture i have very much prominently mentioning apart from the harappan culture the ocp culture or colored pottery it has grown like this and this or colored pottery is uh, synonymous with the epic age the aidihasik age of uh, mahabharata and ramayana so rigvedic period more or less uh, contemporary with uh, the harappan late harappan uh, early and mature harappan period and uh, mahabharata ramayana period uh, contemporary with the late harappan period after 1900 uh, bc and uh, with that information i am putting dates this is the last slide wherein i was confident to put dates and uh, these are the dates that i am putting for the rigvedic period so early harappan period is corresponding to devadasa and sudas and mature harappan period correspond to the descendants of sudas hadeva somaka like that up to all the 10th mandala santanu so santanu is uh, born in the period when mature harappan period uh, transition to late harappan it's a period of decline and that is why you have the yuga concept where it, after a great period in the krutha uh, yuga rutha yuga that is a early and matured harappan the you see trayada dwapara and kaliyuga declining so that decline is because the civilization was in decline the late harappan period kurukshetra war and uh, that period the harappan civilization was declining so all the poets uh, represented that as a declining yugas the trayada dwapara and kaliyuga they were all declining step by step and uh, so here this uh, this another slide which shows the positioning of the kurukshetra war and uh, the rigvedic period like early harappan and mature harappan like this yeah think that is uh, there is more or less uh, the end of my presentation uh, i am not sure whether i crossed the timeline i am <laughs> trying to rush through the slides and finish off it in uh, something like one hour but uh, yeah i mean this is pretty much uh, the content inside the book and uh, more details i have touched up only 10% of my de the details in the book it's a, a book of uh, around 15 years of research into the rigveda i started research around 2005 and concluded it around uh, by around 2000, 2020 and uh, took for took me two years to around one and a half one and a half years to write the book with all the maps everything starting with the uh, covid uh, starting of covid and this this book is a result of covid where i was able to work from home and 
I started around uh, February of uh, 2020 when the Narendra Modi declared the uh, that uh, the, we have a lockdown. Exactly on the same day, I started the, writing the book and uh, published it. Uh, uh, book came out around uh, February of uh, 2022. Just three months now. Namaskaram. First of all, I have never seen such a wonderful presentation and uh, what should I say? I mean, you spent so many years, so I am actually speechless. Uh, I've got a few questions. So one of the kings in the Ikshwak dynasty was Sharyati. Yes. Sharyati. So probably it is Sharyati. So is it possible that... Uh, the name Sharyati was later adopted to Saryu River in Ayodhya. There is actually a Swara difference because Saryu is Sa, that is different from Shah, Sharyati is Shah. And yeah. uh, there is another location for Sharyanavat, which is both are Shah actually, Shah mm-hmm. or like uh, of Shiva. So Sharyati has some connection with the Sharyanavat. I have mentioned it in the uh, my book, uh, but Sarayu is a different entirely uh, kind of a different phonetics. It's sa and uh, I also give an etymology of Sarayu. Uh, Sarayu Sara means to move, right? But uh, if if you are a, if you are a, like a Sanskrit speaker, if you want somebody to move, like uh, you will say Sara. Sara means just move. Like for example, if you are in a bus and crowded bus and you want somebody in front of you to move just a little forward so you will say sara sara means to move and uh, sarayu means uh, it's, it's a common name for a river wherein the water is moving that is why it is called sarayu and uh, the, the, there is a difference between the name sarayu in rigveda and the name sarayu in ramayana the sarayu name in rigveda it ends in the short vowel u Wherein Ramayana it is Sarayu, uh, wherein there is a Dirdha. And there also there is a kind of double etymology. One is the, it is a river originating from the Saras, that is a, from a lake. That meaning also comes in. Similar to Saraswati. Saraswati is a river containing many lakes. And Sarayu means a river originating from the lake. And it has the uh, root etymology also uh, as well, like the, the water flow. No? The, Sarayu, uh, with a short vowel, uh, it has another meaning of, uh, the basic meaning is a water flow. Because any river is a water flow, so that meaning is there. So that etymologically, there both the river names, Sarayu with a short vowel, Sarayu with a long vowel, everything has the correct meaning. And uh, Shariyati, uh, because it's entire different category, start with Shah. So there is no possibility of connection, but of course there are uh, location names like Sharyanavata I mentioned where the Sariyati has got a presence. Right. A few more questions with your due permission, Sangam Talks. So, I read an interesting word, Chaimans. Chaimana. Yeah, it's a dynasty, descent, Parthav dynasty. Yeah. So, I actually don't pose questions which border on assumptions, but this question is nevertheless tempting. So, would you assume, or is there any basis to tie Chaimans with the Chauhans, the Chauhan dynasty? 
it can be like i mean i cannot uh, easily dismiss it but uh, basically the chayamana uh, dynasty is a it's not only me as a researcher but uh, even earlier researchers like srikant kalagiri and many of the western scholars have associated with the kayani dynasty so you see in pakistan some of the spokespersons uh, they are called kayani there is some name called kayani and the kayani dynasty is basically a direct descendant of the chayamana dynasty of the rigveda that is a, a state that is a, like a contribution from srikant kalagiri uh, i am not uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's like a foundational kalagiri research is a foundational research for me and he has uh, identified this linkage that is the pakistan uh, kayanis are basically the descendants of the chayamanas they are the iranian dynasty and of course if uh, chauhan the word namings are word rhymings are there but it would it would mean that uh, chauhans are basically coming from iran but i don't know whether any of their family history they will be agreeing to that and uh, apart from the name rhyming so thing is we need to look at the, their uh, family history and uh, apart from looking at the name similarity we need to look at their family history etc to ascertain these linkages one more question so one of the indic scholars mr nilesh oak has dated ramayan to be 10000 or somewhat like that bc according yeah. to astronomical phenomenon so have you also taken care of those phenomena while compiling this research or uh, what yeah i will tell you. see the nilesh uh, basically when he put it the dates of uh, ramayana or uh, rigveda the amount of data he is taking from the source text like uh, if it is from uh, but he has not at all considered anything uh, from ramayana when he take uh, this uh, information he is uh, only focused on the astronomical verses which are like around 18600 verses are there in the ramayana critical edition text without uh, some some of the text uh, verses are excised because they considered as later edition and in the 18000 uh, verses the verses which are considered by the astronomy archaeology archaeology astronomy or such as like nilesh and so many other there is just uh, 1% age of entire verses so anything related to the positions of uh, planets etc they are just 1% what are whatever i my research because i it's, uh, for example in case of ramayana 18000 verses i go all the 18000 verses in the ramayana every data available in every verse i am taking similar uh, similarly rigveda and mahabharata so if you just look at the if your if your uh, source in question <coughs> is uh, very limited like uh, 1% 2% uh, of your entire verses then you, you can come at a very divergent conclusions so what biggest problem for me when i am putting the ramayana at uh, 2000 bc is because the climate is not matching and very clearly uh, the see as i said right the river uh, rivers the the structure of the rivers and the morphology of the rivers changes within 300 years so within 500 years there are change. for example yamuna river within 500 years it has moved 5 kilometers so what to talk about 12000 years so we cannot uh, distinguish the uh, even the current uh, geographic uh, current map of the rivers will not do any justice to something which is hap- which is the rivers in the 12000 bc entirely totally it will be different the, that are the some problems like uh, from where you would get the data for the river dynamics uh, 12000 years before you don't you only have to guess 
Most of people guess that it is exactly same as today. That is how they go forward. So that is why uh, no, I cannot rely in that that manner. Uh, what I'm, I have done is uh, I have gone like not only reading the three books. It is a comparative analysis of three books like Rigveda, Mahabharata, and Ramayana. And every verse I am counting and also looking at connecting it to archaeology and hydrology as well. So in the Ramayana also there are mention of camels, camel, the presence of camels, everything is there. And it also shows a kind of a, a scenario where the sun dried up, right? The middle part of the Saraswati is dried up. It's an arid climate is mentioned in the Ramayana as well. And another problem is about the, the, the name Kurujangala. So the name Kurujangala in Ramayana, which actually cut off your upper limit for the dating of Rama. So anywhere like a hundred years earlier than Kurushatrava, hundred or two hundred years earlier, you cannot go beyond hundred and two hundred years earlier than Kurushatrava. Because Kuru, Kuru, the king Kuru is just within two hundred years to Pandavas, Pandavas timelines. So Pandavas are 1793 BC, which is one of the prominent date I put for the Kurukshetrava. Then uh, Rama and uh, Shantanu, the contemporary kings, has to be dated to 1900 BC. They cannot fly beyond that. Just one last question. So according to your research, Raviji, Ramchandraji and Shantanu were contemporaries. Yeah, yes, yes. And... Uh, one of the Ikshwaku kings captured the Gangetic area, which I think would be probably Bhagirath, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Now, according to the Ikshwaku dynasty, Manu predates all these kings by several generations, right? Now, if you Kanpur, which is uh, a few hundred, 70 kilometers upstream from Lucknow, I mean, yeah, on. so there's a Dhruv Tila. There's a there's a there's a mound which is supposed to be the place where Dhruv conducted his penance, and that's also the place where apparently Manu founded the Ikshwaku dynasty. So, how do you reconcile this folklore with what you have researched? So, uh, yes, you correctly pointed. See, some of the events. Uh, the Manu, uh, all of this, uh, the, the ancestral Manu, because there are many people by the name Manu, but the most ancestral Manu, everybody have deemed uh, somewhere earlier to the uh, sixth mandala of the Rikveda. Now you have three sources for uh, uh, declaring what the Manu did. One is Rikveda, one is Mahabharata, one is uh, Mahabharata. And the uh, entire tradition accepts that Rikveda is the oldest. So which is the closest to the, the period of Manu? Obviously, Rigveda. And within the Rigveda, sixth mandala of Rigveda is the closest period towards the, the, the historical events of Manu. So, in the if there is something in the Rigveda which tells us that uh, Manu has established uh, something in Kanpur, then we need to take that uh, with a very high, means, uh, high confidence. You have to take it as absolute. Whereas, uh, if you see uh, that Manu did something, but it is mentioned in a Purana or in a folklore, which is like a Several years after the lifetime of Manu, we have to consider it as a later actions. So there are so many such things. Like for example, in Mahabharata research, I have shown Bhima, Bhima Sena is uh, uh, like uh, uh, very popular in all over India. So you see uh, everywhere in uh, Kerala, in West Bengal, even in Karnataka, you see rocks which say Bhima has pulled it. Bhima is a uh, 
Vimaya sit on them like that. So, so many such folklores are there, but uh, we know very clearly where Vima lived and uh, where, where, how much, uh, what are the areas where he, uh, Mahabharata says that Vima has gone. So, if uh, some location which are unrelated to, I mean, not mentioned in Mahabharata, but in the folklore, they say, okay, Vima has come here and uh, pulled his rock, or Hanumaya has jumped from here. So, we have to consider it as a later interpretations and uh, ADKM. So the right word is ADKM. So, how we arrive at uh, the accuracy of the data and how you weight the data is because if an event happened, whichever is the oldest to that uh, particular event, we have to take it as a high, uh, higher authority. So, in case of Manu, we have to take uh, Rigveda as a higher authority. And uh, in Rigveda, it is very clearly mentioned uh, the locations like in Haryana, like Ilaspada, Manusha. Manusha is the place where, which is related to Manu that is mentioned in the sixth mandala of the Rigveda. So that is what we have to take it the highest authenticity. And that is in Haryana. And uh, when you do that, you also are very much aligned with the archaeology because archaeology has the oldest dates in Haryana and compared to any other place. Because Birana is at 7000 BC, Rakigari is at uh, 6000 BC, 4000 BC. So oldest sites are all in Haryana along the Saraswati River. And Rigveda says it is this place where Manu was uh, living. The oldest Manu was living in Manusha, and uh, Manu's son Ila, uh, the Ilaspada is again in the same location as shown in the map. So that is how we have to go do the research. Thank you very much for uh, enlightening us with uh, this knowledge of Rigveda. I had been hearing about these four Vedas, like Rigveda, Yajurveda, Samaveda, and Atharveda, and I had a like very very high level idea because. Uh, Either it is very complex or it is not available simply, but the way you have explained in terms of slides, you have done so much hard work. So at least I could guess something from it. My question, I put it in the chat also, was uh, like how to make it, uh, how to make children aware of it. Uh, suppose like my children are aware of Bhagavad Gita, there are 700 slokes, 18 chapters, at least on the overview and high level, they uh, know about some 20, 30 slokes also. About Vedas, they only know the name, but if uh, we have to make it simpler for children, then how do we make it for Rigveda, say, starting with? Because I think uh, it has uh, main things, Rigveda, and uh, I myself am uh, not much aware uh, before today's lecture. So how we can uh, do that, like, so that it is uh, simpler and easy for parents also to convey? Because this is how uh, your initiative of uh, this uh, 15, 16 years, and then I think you have made the best use of this COVID time also. Nothing could be better uses of this time. How to continue uh, spreading this knowledge and then I will certainly look for you in uh, YouTube also. I'll share those links with my friends. That that will be the impact uh, of your this uh, particular session. So for my personal query, how to make it simpler for children? So uh, just for uh, uh, providing some clarity, uh, the Rigveda is a kind of the oldest text of humanity and uh, different people approach the text uh, uh, with a different objective. There are researchers looking at uh, the geography of the Rigveda like me and some others uh, on the, they are focused on the, how the Rathas are constructed uh, because all the different chariot parts are mentioned in Rigveda. But uh, traditionally for our children, what is more important for them is uh, the recitation of the Rigveda from the philosophical point of view. So, as a, uh, I am not completely averse uh, of the philosophical aspect, but only because since I am writing a book on the geography, I have focused only that aspect. But uh, my writings about Rigveda, uh, which are related to the Rigvedic philosophy, 
because that is how i started in 2005 uh, i started reading uh, the books of arobindo uh, he has uh, provided the philosophical interpretation of uh, rigvedic verses and uh, that has uh, that particular uh, way of uh, studying rigveda uh, very much useful for the children because see in bhagavad gita you have 700 verses or sanskrit verses which is a kind of a crisp summary of the upanishads and uh, upanishads are like uh, 10 times or uh, 50 times more uh, in size than the bhagavad gita and upanishads uh, basically is uh, actually the essence of the uh, vedas all the four vedas all the essence are uh, like the entire knowledge of the vedas moved into three stages first the, uh, the brahmanas are authored and from the brahmanas aranyakas then so slowly it become philosophical and finally the upanishads which is the fourth stage where it is purely from a philosophical point of view and uh, in that uh, the concept of atveda and uh, Ved- uh, all the vedantic concepts everything is there so if you read upanishads basically you are reading vedas uh, from the completely taking out the karmakanda portion you are ignoring and you are taking the philosophical aspect of the vedas through upanishads and uh, bhagavad gita is an essence of crisp uh, summary of upanishads so it's again a gateway into the vedas so if their children is uh, reading bhagavad gita they are almost uh, reading uh, like uh, at the entry gate of uh, uh, the vedas because so i would recommend uh, your child who is interested in the uh, bhagavad gita try to just one exercise it will be very interesting find out the some of the verses in bhagavad gita in the upanishads because many of the uh, bhagavad gita verses are there uh, in an original form in the upanishads once they get uh, that exercise it will be like a very interesting exercise to first it will be surprising to see a bhagavad gita verse in an upanishad once then they will get a lot of interest in reading upanishads then uh, once finally that once you familiarize upanishads then you are actually at the gate of uh, uh, vedas themselves and then once the upanishads you can straight away then start looking at the uh, vedic uh, sutras second point i will mention uh, whatever i have done in 2005 i have uh, memorized many of the sutras like uh, manyu sutta that is an interesting sutra about uh, the manyu that is a rigvedic god which is a representation of the indras vajrayuga and then nasadiya sutta is there nasadiya and the purusha sutta is there these are all very famous uh, sutras which have create a philosophical kind of basis for your children Uh, especially the nasadiya sutta is uh, very important because it gives a kind of a intermediary between belief and the non belief so it is agnastika like you have uh, five three divisions uh, in the in our uh, hinduism doesn't uh, ignore the atheism right so we have nastika nastika philosophy agnastika philosophy that is uh, middle way between nastika and nastika and astika philosophy so the foundation of these three philosophies like uh, atheism theism and uh, middle of the that is in the nasadiya sutta so if your children learns nasadiya sutta uh, they have entire foundation of hinduism and you can uh, look at purusha sutta which gives a very un- very fine understanding of the societal structure of the society and uh, help us to get away from this uh, caste uh, related uh, concepts because purusha sutta very nicely very clearly mentioned uh, the the varna system in a very correct manner and uh, every children should understand it before they get uh, uh, brainwashed by the leftist historians so these are the something they can do 
and uh, only like if the if a child is also interested in the geography then of course uh, the books like uh, whatever book i have written then that will be very useful my research is primarily like uh, to corroborate uh, the geography because i have into uh, very much into the geography of mahabharata and ramayana and uh, before writing the books on mahabharata and ramayana geography i wanted to sort it sort out the rigvedic geography and that is the reason why i have written the book focusing on the geography otherwise uh, a lot of my studies are into the philosophy which is present in the uh, vedas all the four vedas but my familiarity is primarily on the rigveda but uh, the other vedas uh, i have to yet, yet to look at in a detailed manner but otherwise uh, 90% of uh, around 80% of yajurveda is same as uh, copied uh, it's a it's kind of a version of the rigvedic uh, suktas uh, samaveda also only in atharveda you have a little more different uh, uh, suktas coming which are not related to rigveda so uh, philosophy is something that uh, the children should learn first i have first of all i learned philosophy rigvedic philosophy the citation of the suktas and only then i have ventured into something different like data analysis etc interview so there are a few uh, small doubts two or three admats the first one is uh, what is the meaning of trishti ah the trishu so the etymological uh, etymological like currently it is a, mentioned as a clan name uh, like uh, Uh, the name that is given to the panchala so uh, in a very simple manner this is the ancient name of the panchalas the the panchalas are very familiar right uh, the the lineage of panchali and drishtadyumna and drupada so so the panchalas whatever panchala that is mentioned in the mahabharata it is a confederation of five clans and uh, the oldest clan which put them together that is mentioned as trutsu trutsu is a clan name and uh, you don't see the name panchala in the rigveda so they are represented by their ancient name called trutsu and uh, uh, if you know if you know etymological etymologically what trutsu means basically it uh, it's uh, related to energy and uh, like uh, very active active tribe like that kind of meanings are there for that and what are your views on the huna invasion uh are you invasion the hunas invasion can you can you repeat where it is ahuras h u n a s what are your views on hunas invasion huna yeah huna invasion yeah i mean huna invasion if i'm if i'm uh, reading it correctly these are all happened during the like uh, post mahabharata period and they, these are all subject uh, subject matter of mahabharata basically But if uh, if we are speaking about Aryan invasion, I have very clearly mentioned in the first slide itself that very first slide wherein the Rigveda mentioned the oldest places as Yalaspada and Manusha, the entire Aryan invasion theory just vaporizes nothing. They are all in Haryana. That is the reason. Ravi ji, Namaste once again. Is there any mention of Indraprastha Rigveda? Ah uh, no, it's not there. But uh, the the closest we get is the Shipa River, that is Sahibi River that is flowing to Delhi. Uh, the Shipa is mentioned in the Indraprastha, uh, I mean in the Rigveda, and Yamuna is mentioned. So uh, Indraprastha is located on the Yamuna River. So Yamuna is prominently mentioned. Sahibi River is mentioned that the largest the largest river of Delhi, and uh, that are neighbourhood rivers like the Drishtadi, that is Chauta, and uh, Yamuna Vadi, 
that is a distribute that is a distributary channel of yamuna river which is again flowing through delhi area so that much is mentioned and it is uh, hinting that the trutsus because of the uh, reemergence of the kurus back to the varapatiya that is a kurukshetra they uh, pushed the downwards that is southwards and the panjalas were living in delhi during the like ramayana of sri ramaspuri so this much we can get uh, by comparatively analyzing the rigveda and ramayana and also mahabharata one more question sir associated with this since you are from isro and uh, you've done so much of research assuming that mahabharat took place say 1500 or 1600 bc is there any astronomical i would astronomical but is there any isro related evidence that connects delhi to indraprasth and all its present topographical features say maybe 1500 years ago i mean any evidence that links delhi to indraprasth to the mahabharat war Yeah, yeah. Uh, I will put it in a, like a different way. So basically, like uh, uh, was foremost in discovering the Saraswati River using the IRS uh, satellite imagery. So it was primarily looking at uh, the from the sky, from the space. Uh, it looks at the uh, topography of uh, the area, like Vedic and uh, Indian topography and uh, geography, and it can discover cities like Ahichatra. It uh, Ahichatra discovery. and uh, many city discoveries that uh, because of isro and uh, river saraswati channel first first uh, very clearly identified in the isro irs imagery etc and uh, to answer your question primarily uh, you, you you may be like because most popular archaeo astronomy dates uh, are like nilesh uh, uh, of state etc but the, exactly the same archaeo astronomy analysis is done by so many other researchers uh, i have already organized uh, one uh, talk Uh, went one conference in which uh, many researchers in the uh, kurukshetra war dating are participated all of them are astronomy that is same category of nilesh uh, participated and uh, they use the same methodology of uh, looking at the mahabharata verses and corroborating it into the uh, computer sky chart that that is similar to what isro doing the the the, the sky charts uh, they create planetarium software Wherein you can actually look at the sky of five uh, thousand BC or two thousand BC, etc. So there is one researcher called Ash- Ashok Bhatnagar, who is an astronomer himself, and uh, he has uh, using the same methodology of research that Nilesh is using, corroborating the uh, location, uh, the astronomical data in the Mahabharata. He has uh, given a date of seventeen ninety three BC, and seventeen ninety three BC is also the date which falls in uh, into the range of dates provided by sanjay manju the archaeologist who has uh, provided the new date of uh, mahabharata as a, because archaeologists provide you range that is they don't give pinpoint dates so they give a range the range was uh, given as uh, between 800 bc uh, 1800 bc to 1700 bc this is an upgrade upgrade from the bbilal uh, earlier he has given a date of uh, 800 900 bc and uh, bbilal's uh, same team after uh, 50 years of further study uh, they are coming with uh, the date of uh, 700 to i mean 1700 to 1800 bc for the kurukshetra war and uh, he is also the very uh, the person who discovered the senori chariot etc so we have to take it very seriously and uh, with the with the confirmation of bbilal he has uh, put in these dates and uh, in our conference it was a surprise that uh, ashok patnagar who was very indip- totally independently he has come out with uh, the archaeo astronomy date 
completely uh, like uh, aligning with all, every astronomy verses in the Mahabharata, he gave a date of 1793. And in the same conference, there was another researcher, uh, Ramamurthy, he has given a 1500 BC. So these dates are not, uh, no, these are not, these are, these are all, dates are all part of the same archaeoastronomy analysis, uh, which uh, also unfortunately gave uh, some dates like uh, very far away dates like 5500 BC. But uh, then when that happens, what do you do? When you have so many dates, everybody doing the same kind of research, but multiple dates, we will take the date which falls into the another discipline. So you have archaeology provided day, uh, range uh, 1800 to 1700 BC. In that, you uh, Astro Patnagar date is falling. Two two different results converge into the same same place, and that is what I have put as a reference in my book. That this is the Kurukshetra Award date, and I call it as a Tyaus Jara consensus. Tyaus Tyaus means sky, which is the eternal witness of all the events, and Dhara is Earth, which is another eternal witness of all the events. And Dhara and Dyaus, that is archaeology and astronomy, are converging on a single date, that is 1793 BC. And uh, uh, now you ask me a question. Delhi, you, you ask whether there is any evidence. You have, uh, like, uh, it's, it's not because of uh, any photograph from the top, etc. Because this, uh, the name, uh, ancient name of Delhi in all the records, uh, all the ancient records, even during the British period, uh, somewhere during the say, around 1770s, I mean, um, 1700 AD or 1800 AD, it was Indraprasth. So it is not a matter of debate. Because your name of Delhi as Indraprasth continuing up to our just 200 years ago. And uh, even today, the, there is a location, uh, the name, that local location in the Delhi is Indraprasth. There is a metro station there. Uh, and it's all continuing exactly like in the past. So this is not something that you need to discover or uh, conclude through some IRS remote sensing, but it is already in the historical records. So just to answer your question. There's an addendum. Uh, so there's an incident in uh, Mahabharat where uh, when uh, I think Ashwatthama or when Arjun throws an arrow, so that arrow makes Rajasthan a desert, something like that. So probably it alludes to a, to, an, to a tectonic event where the river dried up or something like that. I'm not very sure. And then there's in Delhi, there's also a Najafgarh drain. I live very close to the Najafgarh drain. It's called a Najafgarh drain, but it's actually a fault line. Yeah. So would you connect that fault line? I'm asking this question because you are associated with science and history. So would you connect that fault line? Is there any connection of that fault line called the Najavgarh drain with that incident which happened thousands of years ago when Rajasthan became desert because of the shifting of the channels of Saraswati and Yamuna and all? Yeah, uh, one thing, the events happened in Mahabharata. Actually, I'm writing a third book uh, which is on Mahabharata geography. Currently, I'm writing a book on Ramana geography. It is almost 90% complete. So I will put in more details in there, but uh, to answer your question, some of the verses in the Mahabharata are late traditions, uh, which are like uh, excised in the critical edition. So this event that you mentioned is not there in the critical edition of the Mahabharata. And even the other information is already there. That is uh, the Saraswati desiccation, the, that is uh, the drying up of Saraswati is already uh, like uh, recorded automatically in the late Rigvedic uh, uh, mandalas also and in Ramayana also. So it is not related to Arjuna's period, which is more little late into the Mahabharata period. 
So the three texts, the Rig Veda and uh, Ramayana and Mahabharata, they are all unanimous. The drying up of Saraswati, like the, at least the middle part of it, the Saraswati dried up. Even you look at the Sagara story. Sagara story is basically what? They don't have water. They, they don't have water to actually uh, give Udaka for their uh, uh, dried up ancestors. These are all actually indication of a dry climate. So this is all there mentioned in Ramayana and Mahabharata. And uh, as I mentioned in the uh, ten, uh, starting with the 10th uh, uh, mandala, so much of information in Rigveda itself, which is a dried up condition with the camels, etc. So uh, it will not be relatable to Arjuna. That's what I'm, my point is.